I've never used one of these before. Is it working? Are you here okay? So I want to welcome you all to the Engaged, to Engage Buddhism with Joanna Macy, who will be in shortly. This is a benefit for tsunami relief in Sri Lanka. Tonight we have all come to hear Echo philosopher Joanna Macy speak. A scholar of Buddhism, general systems theory, and deep ecology, she's a leading voice in movements for peace, justice, and a safe environment. She will discuss her experience with the Buddhist-inspired community-based movement Sarvodaya. Over the last 50 years, Sarvodaya has become Sri Lanka's largest and most broadly embedded people's organization, with a network covering 15,000 villages, 34 district offices, over 100,000 youth, and the country's largest microcredit organization. Sarvodaya is helping to rebuild destroyed villages and distribute food, tents, and medical supplies to areas of Sri Lanka that the government and other organizations could not reach. Any donation amount is welcome and will be well utilized. All donations will go to Sarvodaya, a Sri Lankan service organization, to help with tsunami relief. And there is a sign up by the Donna box telling you exactly how to spell it and uh, how to make your checks payable. And there are just a few other things I'd like to say. Regarding um, the bathroom locations, there are two down here. There's a um, disabled access there, and there's another bathroom up the uh, circular staircase through the library. Um, there's tea and cookies in the back by the social hall. Uh, please, no food or drink in the carpeted area, only bottled water. And um, we would ask for a few volunteers to help clean up afterwards. We need about 10 people. And uh, Sharon, where are you? Thank you. Speak to Sharon. Afterwards, if you're willing to stay a little later and help clean up. Thank you. Was there anything else, Julie? That's it? Okay. And now, Joanna Macy. I was told there's a bell too. Is there a bell I can?
I'm just delighted to be here. I love it when I get a chance to talk about the Sarvodia movement because it has been such a big thing in my life. I have been such a lucky person to have had the last three decades of my life illumined by that movement. So I'm looking forward to telling you about that and about uh, what it has meant to me and then the story of what this uh, amazing band of uh, folks, bigger than a band, a movement, how they were able to respond, how the way they had learned to uh, be with each other and be with the uh, turmoil and needs of their people enabled them to respond to a huge uh, disaster. And I, in a way, I think it's, I'm imagining it's very generous hearted of you uh, with your own minds filled with the effects of natural disaster beyond our comprehension already in our country in the Gulf states to come and open your heart minds to uh, another kind of uh, catastrophe very similar uh, half a world away. I would like to begin first with just a few minutes of Anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing in and breathing out, five minutes of that.
I do a little storytelling to set the context of this remarkable, this phenomenon called Sarvodhya before talking about the tsunami. I met it just 30 years ago. I was, that was in uh, the mid-1970s, and I was completing my doctoral work. I'd gone back to graduate school in my 40s, and I was just fascinated by the social teachings of the Lord Buddha. And I was uh, reading those sutras and those commentaries and passages that showed the economic and political relevance of the teachings and the early stories of the early Sangha. And I think, oh boy, what it would mean. You know, we could do something like that today. And I thought, someday, you know, someday that the social teachings of the Lord Buddha will be heard that way and, and, and people will gather and they'll... And so uh, I went for the first time without my children back to South Asia. We had lived there uh, sometime before in the Peace Corps. And, uh, but this was, I went back alone. And I allowed myself to just lose myself in the subcontinent. And one thing to another, I was doing a pilgrimage and uh, on trees, the Bodhi tree. I was looking at the Bodhi tree and what it meant in the earliest Buddhist art. And then somebody said something that ignited something and one thing and another. And I found myself determinedly going to Sri Lanka and uh, meeting, going right out to the headquarters of Sarvodia and meeting its founder and director, a diminutive, uh, voluble uh, firecracker of a man named A.T. Aryaratna, or called Ari for short. And uh, I realized, with, I hadn't been there more than 20 minutes, and I realized that this was what I had been uh, imagining could be done with the social teachings of the Buddha. They were brought right out. Uh, they were inscribed on the walls of the village meeting places. Uh, they took the Four Noble Truths and they put it into uh, a social dharma. Uh, they took the uh, um, wheel of causation and they painted it on the walls of, of their meeting places and uh, but instead of the old Pali and Sanskrit names sort of uh, abstractions they put in social terms you know there's a sick village hunger dissension and how these all build ignorance infighting feuding defeat as a cause of causation of uh, of degeneration of the village. And they did just the other, going in the other way, of course, the cause, circle of causation, 
uh, how a village wakes up and from uh, literacy to health to preschool to cooperation to sharing to kindly speech and so forth. Well, that was um, linked to the name of the movement. Sarvodaya means to them, everybody wakes up. And that is uh, this movement's definition of development. Not as modernization, westernization, industrialization, but as waking up, waking up to our power, waking up to our wisdom, waking up to our capacities to serve each other with joy and insight. And, and, uh, and it's a term, I'm going to say to you, that is Gandhi. Gandhi coined it from the Sanskrit, and it, he used it to mean the uplift of all, to work among the poorest of the poor. And it was actually translating John Ruskin, the British philosopher, social philosopher, had a phrase, unto this last, and he translated it. Somehow he got Sarvodaya, was pretty good, the uplift of all. But that was in a Hindu society. And when Ari, uh, who worked with Gandhi and worked in his movement, particularly with Dino Babave, he, uh, for his uh, movement in Sri Lanka, which started with high school students, he was a science teacher, and he took them out to the poorest village he could find, and these were very upper-class Sri Lankan boys, Selenese boys at that time. That was after independence, Sri Lanka. And they began uh, working as a reciprocal uh, giving, dana. They would give their, their labor, shrama dana. And uh, so uh, the movement was called Sarvodaya Shramadana. Am I not on? No, you, it's, uh, it's rubbing every time you move your arm. So it's making this extra noise. It's fine now. It's fine put in front of you. Every time you talk with your hand. I know. Well, I do do that. Okay. So, uh, of course, being Buddhist, they took the term sarvodaya and translated it to mean uh, not the lifting of all, uh, but the awakening of all, because that's what the Buddha did under the Bodhi tree. And that's what the villagers can do in their villages. And that's where everybody can do is to wake up. And that's the nature of uh, what calls us in this time, which is particularly hard in this post-colonial period when the colonial masters, first there were the Portuguese, then the Dutch, then the British, for the four and a half centuries, and when they go, but then it's just as challenging under the influx of uh, Western corporate culture, television, tourists, free trade zones, sweatshops, you know. So uh, I I went back and and lived with the movement for a year. And uh, having learned some Sinhalese in the meantime, and I 
knew that there was something I wanted to learn. I wanted to see this promise that I felt in it, this way of being human. And so I enrolled in uh, two courses for village workers and uh, two weeks each. Learned a lot. Learned that part of the training, intrinsic to the training that the village workers get, because you heard Pesha tell you that they're working in 15,000 villages. Now that's a heck of a lot. And uh, But they started just in one and two, and that was uh, how, how do you bridge the gap? How do you motivate people from such different backgrounds economically to work together? How do you overcome the suspicion and mistrust and divisiveness that's often at play, keeping people in a kind of psychic bondage in the villages. So I went to learn all that and I wrote a, I wrote a book about it and I was uh, wishing that my next order had come in sooner so I could bring it to you. It's called Dharma and Development. From my year living there, I stayed at the headquarters then I went out and lived in a village. Um, where they had Sarvodhya activities. And uh, I learned how they begin. Uh, They never go where they're not invited. I learned how they often, the temple and the monks often play a key role in introducing the movement or inviting a Sarvodhya person, worker, organizer, to come and speak, how the temple outworks with the movement to make it okay for young people to work together on the work camps that are very often the first um, way that they get started in a village. I took notes on this and I took part in it and I loved it. And uh, I met, when I went into Colombo, I'd meet some other Westerners and they were all doing important things. They were bringing programs and skills and money and they said, what are you doing? And I just said, I'm just trying to learn from this movement. And at first I felt embarrassed because I wasn't doing something important like bringing some project or money or until I found that learning from them, learning from the movement, it took me a while to learn this, but was the best gift I could have given them. To have someone realize that they had something exquisite to teach and to share. To take notes and pictures on it and then make a book. And then they took the book 
that I dharma and development and used it for themselves as training. It's so important that we can see ourselves in the mirror of another person's eyes, isn't it? To confirm, to be able to step outside yourself and to see through another's eyes what you're doing and to confirm your sense of its value and importance. And what were they doing? They were working with the children first, starting preschools because they said, Everything starts from the child up. That's where you start to shape the motivation to of uh, gratitude and dana and sharing and uh, self empowerment. And they had uh, from that grew the preschool, grew gardens. Then they community gardens, and then from that grew community kitchen from the mothers group. And from that grew uh, cooperatives among the farmers. And from that grew uh, cooperative uh, marketing schemes and uh, work projects together. And from that grew uh, literacy classes and alternative energy production of windmills and hydro generators from the streams and from that grew as the years went on and more and more villages took part in this uh, microcredit schemes and community banks and a Sarvodia council in each village where there are seats reserved for there have to be at least Three women, there have to be at least three children. Get this. They have such respect for the children. And they put them to, they give them responsibility. I was about to say they put them to work. But they do in things in a very self-guided way. Um, I came back to this country thinking, wishing we could learn to uh, give responsibilities like that to our young people. Our, I think the Postal service would be great in the hands of high school students. They have the smarts that it takes, and they probably wouldn't invent so much red tape or give so much free distribution to junk mail. I saw a movement that deeply inspired everything I have done since then because I've been, had a busy life involved in many issues and working with many groups, but it was from Sarvodia that I learned you trust the intelligence of the people, you listen, you don't try to Dictate a, a, a village or any group or any person what their problems are, but you make it safe and create a situation as they do in their first meetings for them to say what it is that isn't working in their life. It's an application of the first noble truth that what you face first before you look at a solution, you look at the dukkha. You look at the suffering. You look at what isn't working. 
and the importance of physical work. Every every village starts off uh, with a shramadana camp, a work project, a work camp. And it has to be something that they can see, that they've done, that they can complete, you know, thatching the roof of a school that had been destroyed in the monsoon, or digging communal latrine, or clearing the irrigation canal. And in that working together, physically working together, just as our grandparents did, at least mine, in the barn raisings, in the corn husking, in the quilting bees, that kind of shared the gift of labor, which is a lot of fun, and bonds the group, which was very important there because they hadn't done this for a couple of many generations and uh, the culture is stratified and that physical work brought people together. Well, uh, so over the year I've gone back, I saw how they were the only organization that during the long years of the Civil War in Sri Lanka that in which both Hindu Tamils and Buddhist Sinhalese were uh, involved in a uh, free and uh, genuine way. I saw how they provided, uh, they working in the refugee camps of the peoples uh, displaced by the war, the Civil War, and how when the ceasefire was signed, they started having massive meditations around the country. They said to hold the ceasefire. They said There's, it's very tenuous, and let's have. And so they would have, not only Buddhists came, Buddhists and the Muslims and the Hindus, you couldn't tell, they had the same appearance and they all dressed in white and they would come together. You couldn't tell what side they were coming from. They could have been bombing each other. They could have been putting landmines for each other. But they came in, in the years past, but they came in in their white sarongs and lungis and the flowers in their hair to sit for peace on both sides. And, and when Ari said, and now the next one, it's so, when the ceasefire said, we're going to have one with half a million people. And his assistant said, oh, you can't get half a million people to a meditation. Try maybe 300,000. 100,000. Well, when I learned that they were already beginning to dig the latrines for it and get the railway system to set on some cars, uh, I flew over for it. I just couldn't. I said, well, at least there'll be one more. There'll be me when they count how many were there. And it was up in Anuradhapura. How many of you have been to Sri Lanka? 
Remember Anuradhapura, the royal city? Big campus, bigger than Cal at Berkeley. Probably just about the size of Stanford. And uh, these people in white just thronging in, in silence. It was so beautiful. And when the count was made, it was 650,000. So then, last winter, the day after Christmas, the, the tsunami hit. And uh, the latest figures show about 40,000 dead, almost 20,000 missing, and uh, a million homeless. And uh, I learned this today, getting ready to talk to you from their website, that um, in November, at the end of November, so it's just less than four weeks, uh, just the month before the tsunami, uh, going by a newspaper article about a forthcoming cyclone, Sarvodia carried out a disaster management briefing at its monthly district coordinators meeting with the help of an officer from the Department of Meteorology. So they did this premeditated exercise, thinking through everything they could do, though I'm sure not imagining the horrendous extent of the damage and danger. And then, then on, on December 26th, the day of the tsunami, you know, that you may remember the wave hit at uh, around 9 o'clock and uh, 9.30, 9.30 in the morning, a Sunday morning when there were a lot of people out on the beach, a special disaster management operations center was set up and in order to receive reports and coordinate from the Sarvodia district centers and to uh, coordinate their movements. Right away I learned that uh, I realized that to be really effective in a disaster like that there's really no substitute for having learned how to work together as the Sarvodia had in its village programs and in its Sarvodia councils. Uh, they have a lot of, they have 100,000 volunteers and they were all pulled into it. They had all been disciplined by the Sarvodia practices, teachings of nonviolence, and uh, by the meditations that they do at the outset of every 
meeting. So now before I go on to tell you what Sarvodia did, and so you could picture this uh, movement. I don't know how does one picture a movement. <laughs> you can't see them all at once, but boy, their presence is felt. They're young. By and large, they're young. They tend to wear white. But before I go into that, uh, in honor of their practice of meditation, I want to do with you the three-part meditation that Ari himself does every morning. You up for that? So the first part is anapanasati, as we did at the beginning, mindfulness of breathing in and breathing out. And I'll just speak a little bit as we're doing it, the way Ari talks about it. You don't try to breathe long or slow or deep. You don't try to breathe any special way. But just greet the breath as it happens, fresh, new, and different each time. And you take that precious gift of attention, the capacity of the mind to pay attention and you attend to the breath. All the way out and all the way in. Sometimes it's like taking your mind and stroking the breath, caressing it or riding on it as you breathe out, mindfully awake in that pause, and then riding back on the in-breath, and again awake in the pause before the out-breath, so that two things are happening of which you are equally aware. The breathing and the knowing of the breathing. This instantly collects the mind. The mind does not let itself be separated 
from the breath. But of course, it'll wander off. But then it comes back without drama or apology to the breath. So this unites the body and the mind. Now, after doing this for 15, 20 minutes, the length of time depends on what's happening that morning. But when the Anapanasati has brought a merging, a unity to body-mind, each is more powerful And with that greater power and focus turn in the second part to loving-kindness. And you give an inner expression and exercise to the heart's innate capacity for metta, loving kindness. Feel it coming through you. a loving from a source that is bigger than any source inside you. From the Buddha, say, from all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, you let that current of loving-kindness pour through you. And you just, with that beam of energy, you just can focus it on this person or that relative or that situation your choice and each time it brings naturally and powerfully the wish oh may that person be peaceful be happy be free from conflict free from suffering 